That's a big vision. Isn't that awesome? That's exciting. We were one of the 30 there, and we, we just feel excited about it. Um, I want to talk to you today about Jesus. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. But Jesus is for all of us in this room, amen, okay? So even though I'm going to talk to you, mamas, I'm going to be talking to this whole room. Um, before I go into that, I want to pray, if we could. I just need to, this is for me. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from Jesus. Father, we just invite you into this time, Lord. I just ask for you to um, just touch our hearts. Even with that vision we just heard, Father, we just ask you to touch our hearts. We ask you to touch our hearts in the places where we need you, Lord, even if we don't know we need you there. I just ask, God, that you would be glorified in this message, that you would be glorified in the mission of this church, and that it would be all about you. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to share a little bit about myself so I can qualify myself. Um, I don't qualify myself by being the role model for mom, although I'm working on it. I qualify myself as a dysfunctional person who has been touched and redeemed by the grace of God. I was raised in the church. I'm affectionately known as a PK. Do you all know what a PK is? Be nice to your PKs. Pastor's kid. But I was actually, I wasn't raised in Southern California. I was raised in Northern Wisconsin. I lived in the country and we were like the only church in like, you know, 100 miles or something like that. And so everybody knew who we were. And we lived in this little house. It's called a parsonage. The church owned it. So nobody had anything better to do than to watch our house and to see how much electricity we were using and what we were doing. Do you know what I'm saying? We lived in a fishbowl. Okay. And so church people were really scary to me. Okay. No offense. But church people were scary people because they watched and they looked and they pointed. And I really grew up thinking this whole thing was just, ugh. Okay. And my, in my home, my parents were good people. They tried to, to do everything right. But there was a disconnect between church and home. So I really thought God lived in the church. And what I saw in the church just wasn't attractive to me. Do you know what I'm saying? So as I grew up, I grew away from that. I grew away from God. I grew away from church. You know, you hear about the pastor's kids. Yep, that was me. Okay. Had a few too many parties in high school. But I was really broken on the inside because if God was it, for some, there was something in me that just didn't measure up to that formula. And there was really nothing to live for. And so I was doing my best to survive. But I had this deep, dark hole in my heart that I didn't want to share with anyone, but I was trying to fill it with something, anything. Uh, it was either a, a relationship with someone, or it was a job, or it was a career, or, or it, was, it was just the way I looked or what I had. It was something, anything. But no matter what I did, I could not fill that void became very depressed. I became very anxious ridden. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I had fear that would throw me into fits of panic. I couldn't even leave my house for periods of time because of that fear. I thought, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go with this? God isn't really that big of a deal. My family really couldn't be available because they were just dealing with their own emotional issues in life. And I came to a point, a breaking point, where I thought I was just going to give up. And I don't know if there's anyone in this room that's ever been there, but where life just didn't seem worth living anymore. Out of desperation, I walked into a church, and let me tell you what, sometimes, you guys, there's going to be people, especially if we move into a community outreach format, that will walk into this church in a desperate state. And I want to be the one that's available. 
Because I walked into churches in a desperate state, and you know what? Some of them didn't even know what to do with me because I was a mess. They didn't even know what to say to me because I was a mess. And I went and I went and I looked and I sought and I tried to find the answers I was looking for. And I finally settled down into a church, and it was a a, a very fundamental church. A nice word of calling it legalistic, okay? Just saying. And I thought, this is it. You know what? I was a bad girl my whole life. God wants me to be a good girl. I'm going to follow all the rules I didn't follow when I was a kid. I'm going to read the Bible morning, noon, and night. And let me tell you what I did. I read that Bible like a week. Okay, a little bit of exaggeration, but if you have a type A personality, you might relate. I read it nonstop. I went to every Bible study I could get my hands on. I was in the church more than any person in the whole church. And they all said, wow, she's amazing. This is so great. But you know what? I entered that church and as a broken person, and I was still a broken person. I just now was putting church on top of that brokenness. Do you understand what I'm saying? And nobody understood that. Nobody could see that. And I, I understand why. I was really good at it. Can I just tell you that I was really good at it? Because I was a PK. And I had learned that in my childhood, how to play that role. But you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work. The brokenness kept coming up. I was smoking. I was drinking. I was having unhealthy relationships. I had depression. I had anxiety. But I don't want to tell the church people because then they would judge me. And then I'd be thrown out. And they were, you know, they were plotting me. And they were patting me on the head. And I wanted to keep that status. I wanted to keep that place. And now I was in a dilemma because here I was in the church, but I was being a hypocrite. And I was at that place again. I don't know if I want to live. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I gave up my life. I threw, talk about making a big risk. I gave up my life, my career. I actually had a professional career at the time. And I decided I'm going to go off to Bible college for four years. And if I sh- they shove me in a room for, for, for four years with nonstop around-the-clock teaching of the Bible for four years, then I'll be good. I can't sin because I went to Bob Jones University and nobody there sins, okay? <laughs> All right? So I was good. I was going to be great, okay? And I got there, and guess what? I mean, like, wearing pants was a crime, okay? I'm just saying, wearing pants was a crime. And so I would throw my pants on so I could go to the gas station and I could buy a cigarette. Is that just so wrong? Is that just so bad? Well, I felt bad. And somewhere in the middle of this, there was God, but I don't know. I didn't know how to find him. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't trying harder. I mean, I'd given up my career. He said that in the Bible somewhere, didn't he? Like, you're supposed to leave everything. Well, I did. Where was he? I searched, and I searched, and I searched. And I was done, and I was tired, and I was frustrated. I was ready to check out. Really, I was ready to check out. And I was reading A.W. Tozer at the time, and it was The Attributes of God. I don't know if any of you have ever read it before. And I was a theological hound, okay? I, like, read everything. Every theologian you could possibly imagine. I was reading him at the time. And it was about the goodness of God. And it really made me mad. Oh, really? You're a good God, are you? You're a kind God, are you? You're a gentle God. Really? Really? Because you're not to me. And that was the first time honesty crept out of my soul. And I was raising my fists at heaven. What kind of God are you? I gave you everything. And I'll tell you what, he came back to me 
And he said, do you really know who I am? And I began to recite those characters of God. You are good, God. You are kind, God. You are loving, God. And I would feel a lift in my spirit I never felt before. And I didn't know what that means, not that it's all a feeling. I went to bed that night. I woke up the next day, and the miracle of all miracles was about to happen, and I had no idea it would. And there's no exaggeration here. This is just how it went down for me. It doesn't mean it's going to go down that way for everyone else. I turned on the light in the bathroom, just like we do every day. You greet yourself with the, the morning mirror, the morning mirror. And God, in all his mercy, unveiled my eyes at that moment, and he showed me what was really going on in the inside. And let me tell you what. It was not good. God showed me my brokenness. He showed me the darkness in my life. He showed me the deceit. He showed me the pain. He showed me the struggle. But he showed me the wretched condition of my inner life. And let me tell you what, it broke me. And he showed me a picture of the cross and a bridge with the words written grace on it. And I looked at that and I understood for the first time that I could not get myself there over that bridge myself. And I understood for the first time what grace was. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, your self-righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. And you know what? You know what I met that day? I met genuine, affectionate love. The love of God that came through grace. And I'll tell you what, it did something for me. I couldn't believe it. I, I I could not believe that it was possible to know Jesus this way. I was married to the king of the universe, and he was affectionately interested in my well-being. And he had given me inner power, cleansing, wholeness. But was that an all in a zap? Not really. And that's really what I want to talk to you today about, is the process of going from living this state of self-sufficiency. You're probably not nearly as dysfunctional as I ever was. So, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. I'm coming from over here to this place of intimacy with Jesus because the journey is not about our efforts. The journey is not about what we do in church to try to be enough for God. The journey about is knowing the heart of God and learning how to live loved. Women, I'm going to talk to you mostly, but let me tell you guys, it's for you too. It's for you too. But I'm going to use language for women, for mothers, because it is Mother's Day, um, about living loved. Um, when I had encountered Jesus really for the first time, he, a couple days after that, he showed me a picture and he had a knife and he was a warrior Jesus. I'd never known a warrior Jesus. I knew a scary Jesus, but not a warrior Jesus. He was a warrior, but he was gentle and kind and loving. But I saw him with that knife. And for whatever reason, I just knew what he meant, that he needed to do surgery on the inside of me, that I had stuff that needed to be dealt with internally. Little did I know that that part of it was process. It wasn't a zap. And I would be on a journey, and I'm still on the journey, you guys. I'm still living in a state of imperfections. But from glory to glory, Jesus is changing me. And by the grace of God, I pray that those changes will impact the generation in my family, my children, and my children's children, and so on and so forth. And that's what Jesus seeks to do in our life, is not just change us, but to impact those around us. We ladies were wired for love. 
Now, if you were at all like me, I was like, don't be talking to me about that gooey, oopy stuff. Okay, I was a little hardened in my life. But I know now that women are fundamentally wired for love, and that's why they were so drawn to Jesus, because he had the resource they were craving. And ladies, there is a God-given nurture in us. Whether or not we've been able to, to really um, come into a place of, of, of having that operate in a healthy way or not doesn't matter. It's there. It exists. I was raised with the joy mentality. Now, I don't mean the good joy. I mean Jesus, others, yourself. Did you ever learn that in Sunday school? Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. And since I was raised kind of in a dysfunctional church, you know, I just, what that meant is I'm just a piece of dirt. I just lay around, you know, on the ground and people can do to me whatever they want. And I'm just here to Jesus, others, yourself. Okay. I had to turn that whole thing around. And the ministry I do now is all about turning that around. It was Jesus myself. No, I'm not saying to be selfish. I'm saying I had to receive it for myself. And once I received it, then I had the resource to give it away. The word says, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do we need self-love? Someone, some people would say, no, self-love is You need to have love and receive love. And that's what I want to talk to you about, ladies, today, is receiving the love of God through Jesus authentically, purely, for real for real. And it is a bold and it is a courageous journey and it is uncomfortable. And it also, can I just say, gets very messy sometimes. That's what me and my husband do. We work in the mess of people's life and it's exciting. There's nothing that excites me more than a messy person stepping through the doors of a church of a recovery meeting. Do you think that's crazy? It's a little, seems a little, but that's the kingdom of God. It's opposite. Jesus loved messy people. That's who he was drawn to. I want to talk to you about accessing the love of God. And the first point I want to give to you is this one, is admitting our need for Jesus. Honestly, as I said, I was raised in the church, and nobody in that church needed Jesus. I'm serious. Nobody needed Jesus. They already had him. And when I look back to it now, I realize that wasn't the case. And I'm not trying to judge, and I'm not trying to be critical. I've come a long way in my understanding of what's going on and my heart actually breaks in that area for people. But the, the radical thing about Jesus is that the broken people were drawn to him and the people who thought they had it all together were repelled by him. Did you ever notice that? I mean, this is throughout the New Testament. I could give you one example after another after another. I mean, that is literally how he interacted in his day. And most people that thought they already had it didn't even know that, that they needed him. And he was like, you know, don't tell me, you know, I, I, I don't need that and I don't even want that. But the people who could recognize their need, those were the people that were drawn. Brokenness is just a place that we arrive at where we realize that we have something in our life that needs to be changed. And that's all it is. It means there's something in me that's fundamentally in need of Jesus. And I believe with my heart of hearts that that is the greatest need we ever will have in the church is to have a need to actually see our need. Do you see what I mean? I mean, I don't have any problems with that anymore because I wake up in the morning, oh God, help me. How am I going to get through this day? My need is ever before me. Even as I've grown in Jesus, I need him more. 
I need him more today than when I started the journey. You know, when Jesus interacted, I I just want to give you one example because I don't have time to give you a bunch. But this one cracked me up. Okay, can we get a little comical sometimes on the word? Get your religious cap off, as one of my pastors used to say. Um, Listen to this. This is out of Matthew 9, 10 through 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Bad, 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 bad people. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's funny. Isn't that funny? Come on, laugh, you guys. That's funny. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Yeah, Jesus. I love it. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Oh, I, I lost my place. For I have not come to call, I have not, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're all wretched sinners those of us who know jesus and we're in this terrible you know horrible place but there are parts in us that need help and there are parts of us that are like we're closed off we're like i'm good don't need anything i'm fine everything's good and one of the things that is my my strongest desire in doing ministry is to help people see both sides to see where they have that need And to see where that religiosity has kind of capped them off. Do you know what I'm saying? And if you don't, just kind of pretend and go with it. Go, oh, yeah, okay, I know what you're saying. I'm going to do number two because we're going to go through five steps here. Number two, we allow Jesus to confront us with truth. Now, I'm not really um, patting this whole thing down. When I went on my initial journey, I did not know the truth that rested in me. I knew the word of God. And, you know, we can know the word of God, but the word of God is not known in us. I don't know if that makes sense. Our head can have it, but it's not transporting into our inner life, into our thoughts, feelings, emotions. We don't really know what's going on internally. When Jesus comes with truth, he doesn't just want to take his word, but he wants to use truth as a flashlight into our soul. He wants to expose to us what's happening. And we need to invite him into the process to do that. Now, what kind of things do you have going on internally? You know what? I don't know. But when I work with people, there's a lot of strongholds and mindsets that contradict the truth of who God is. And this happens especially for people that are discouraged. They're weary. They're depressed. They're overwhelmed. They're in abusive relationships. They're hurt. And maybe I'm not talking to that audience today, but those are the people I work with. And when they learn truth, they see things that are sabotaged in their life. But you know what else they see? They see the loving kindness of Jesus as he really is. Because truth works both ways. It reveals the truth of what's happening in us. But it's a revelation of God's love, of his character, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his power. That is what people are longing for. That's what people want. Number three, I feel like we had two messages today. So I'm trying to bear with, um, I'm trying to keep on track here. Just start giving me the cutoff. Okay. I've been kicked off stages a few times. Not because it was bad. Just because, you know, I tend to, when I start talking about Jesus, I just like, let's go, let's keep going. Um, Number three, we live forgiven. Actually, I believe that one of our cultural, even in Christianity, uh, one of our cultural problems is resentment and anger. It's a very bitter culture. Do you know what I'm saying? Very bitter, angry. Everyone's just throwing mud on each other all the time. And as believers, if you know Jesus authentically, if you've been in a relationship with them, there's nothing more important than living forgiveness. 
I try to tell people this in program because this mindset, I work with people that have the, the mindset of religiosity that they're trying to break out of that. I need to be good for God. I need to do good things for him. He wants me to have the, be like this and be like that. And they don't know anything about his love. Okay. And one of the things I tell them is, do you know that the grace of God has an appetite for your sin? <gasps> no, Jesus hates my sin. No, the grace of God actually has an appetite for it. Like a coyote has an appetite for my 10 pound dog. Okay. It's like that. The grace of God wants to consume your sin. He doesn't like it. He just wants to get rid of it and destroy it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's the opposite mindset of what we have when we're like, I got to be good. I got to go to church. I got to read devotions. All that's great. You do want it. You do need to go to church and d- devotions are great and you need to read the word. But the grace of God has an appetite for what's wrong, the sin in us. Redemption. I, I think of redemption as a dance of grace, ladies. I'm going to talk to the ladies here because it's a romantic interaction that Jesus has. There is no man, women, that will ever love you like Jesus, ever. My husband knows that too. He married me that way, so he's good with that. It's a dance of grace where we're offering our brokenness, our sin to him, and we're receiving his forgiveness, and he's replenishing us, and he's renewing us, and he's restoring us. And this happens moment by moment, day by day, and it's a place I have to live. I don't live with my checklist of, God, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? I have to live with my checklist. God, did I miss something? Search me and know me. Is there something I need? And I want to bring that before you. And I want to ask you to give me and impart on me your love and your favor and your grace moment by moment. His grace is the power that we need to overcome. And it is not a human effort. In fact, grace and human effort You would think grace and sin are contradictory to each other, but grace and human effort are in contradiction to each other. Where you have effort and striving, grace cannot be grace, okay? And that is just vital, vital to know, and it's hard for us to understand that. One of the biggest blessings of my life, not only in my own life, but in the lives of hundreds, maybe thousands of women and men that we've worked with in recovery and treatment over the years, is to watch them go through that process, and they go through this process of, of need and brokenness. And they go through this truth confrontation process. And it's messy and it's painful. And then they go into the area of forgiveness. And they get, they get all that yuck taken away from them. And underneath all that is who they were created to be. Do you know we can be living out a false identity and we don't even know it? Because the sin and the defects and the pain and the trauma of our past, whatever it is, that writes so much messaging in our life that we get buried under it. And there is nothing more beautiful that I have ever witnessed than watching someone literally come undone from all that and be birthed into their authentic design. And our identity, ladies and gentlemen, is who God created us to be. It's the essence of how he chose us to be. It's not what we do. It's not what we say. It's not how we look. It's not how we dress. It's just our deep, essential nature as we are God's child. There is nothing more exciting than walking into authentic identity. And number five, we receive power. All right. 
Does anyone get like creeped out by talks of the Holy Spirit? I just love shaking that up. Sorry, Carrie's like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Listen, I, I'm, you know, I used to think those, those, those Holy Spirit, I mean, they were like crazy. Like, get away from me, you weirdos. There is, no, really, I mean, I've seen it all. I've been to like every denomination, I've seen it all. I've seen the rolling on the floor and the dogs bark and all that. It's like, man, you know, this is nuts. Okay, so the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the power of God living in you that wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It is the marking of the Christian faith. We are not called to be good people. We are called to be powerful people. Ladies, do not buy the modern culture of feminism. Sorry, I, I don't mean to offend anyone, but this idea of a power that you know, just, you know, ain't no man going to do that to me anymore, okay? You know what I'm talking about. I work with the women that are on the hurt end of abuse. And let me tell you what, it is tragic. But our goal in, in dealing with that hurt is not to turn them into man-haters, Independent, I don't need you. It's to turn them into Jesus lovers who know they are empowered by the king of the universe, by the creator. And that in that power, they are loved. Because I believe the real power in our lives is love. You want to tell me like, well, how do I manifest the Holy Spirit? Is it like, you know, do I need to speak in tongues? Do I need to roll around? What do I need to do? You love. You love because you know the heart of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit has been shed in your hearts, you have power to love. You have power to forgive. Those are the miracles. You know, all the other miracles, healing, raising people from the dead, all those other miracles, those are pretty cool if you ask me. I'm like, bring more of those. I love those. I love the miracles of Jesus. But the miracle of all miracles is that he takes a hard heart and he softens it is that he gives us mamas the capacity to love and to nurture our children in a healthy way, even if we had a dysfunctional upbringing, which I had. My mama wasn't available not because she was a bad mama, but because she was a hurt mama. And some of you might relate to that. And some of us maybe haven't been the best moms we thought we should be because we didn't have the resources either. The miracle of Jesus is he takes us and he transforms us and he gives us power despite all of that. It doesn't matter what you have or didn't have. It doesn't matter where you've been. His power resurrects us from the dead. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 is my life verse. It's the most important, I believe. I mean, there's so many important ones. They all mingle together. So who can we say is the most, which verse is the most important? I don't think we can say. But it says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, get this church family. It's so fun to call you guys a church family. When I am weak, then I am strong. I say that because usually I don't church, speak to a church family. I usually just speak to random people. When I am weak, then I am strong. That is Jesus. It's counterdictive, isn't it, to culture? We are taught in culture to be strong, especially us ladies. We're, we're, we're fed 
this, you know, be strong and you don't need a man and all that other, you know, you're as good as a man. You don't, you know, and I, you know, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> let's leave it at that. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know what? I was a go-getter before I really had a confrontation with Jesus. You would have not have known there was something wrong with me. You would have looked at me and you said, man, she's successful. That's why I said the whole church was hurrahing me on like, whoa, she's going to be a missionary in Africa. That's amazing. But I was, I was on my own strength. And God had to break that. And he had to break into that. And then I learned, and I still learn, it's the daily dialogue of my life. God, I need you. Help me. If you don't know what to say, God, I need you. Help me. And now I want to, um, I know we're getting ready to wrap up here. You guys can come up. I'm going to give you a little chance here to interact with this in your own heart. You know, nurturing a relationship with Jesus is not a set of tasks that you need to do every day. I need to read the Bible. I need to do my devotions. It's nurturing a relationship with him. It's a place of nourishment, ladies, where we're receiving. It's a place where we're being filled to perform what needs to be done in a day. Living loved is just a simple state of childhood where we are the children and we need our Father to give us what we need day in and day out. We have to get rid of this idea that we're supposed to be good for God. You are not supposed to be good for God. He will make you good through his spirit, but it will be his spirit working through you. And the works that you do will be works of Jesus. And everybody will know they're works of Jesus and they will glorify him for that. And how do you know they're works of Jesus? Because they have power. They have power. Don't you want power? I want power. The good kind of power, not the wrongful power. I just want you to uh, bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want to ask, maybe it's just one person in this room, if you can answer that question, do I need Jesus? Do I have something in me that needs Jesus right now? And are you willing to let him deal with you in the inner parts of you? That's between you and him. It's a personal relationship. But I just want to pray over you right now. Jesus, we, uh, we just declare before heaven and earth that we need you that we need you with every fiber of our being, even if we don't know right now we need you. We need you. And so we want an atmosphere where you will come to us. Father, we need you to show us what you have for us as a church and as individuals. We need you to blaze truth into our hearts so we can see you in revelation, not just in our head, but we can see you and we can know you. Father, I pray that you would give us the ability for true intimacy, that we would allow you in and we would come to you as we are, that we wouldn't bring coverings. And I pray, God, that you would bulldoze anything in our life 
that is impeding or blocking us for intimacy with you. God, come and have your way. Empower us on this day to be moms and grandmas and husbands and wives, let's include everyone, and and daughters and sons. But that we make it the goal of our life just to know you and to be in relationship with you. And if there is anyone in this room that is struggling with whether they know Jesus, I just want to invite you right now. It's simple. You just look to him and say, I need you, Jesus. And you look onto him and you ask him for forgiveness and he will grant that to you. Just pray this all in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. Amen.